Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. I've got a stack order for you. Um, it's it's very straightforward. It's a it's a kind of uh, it's a, it's a, it's a right or wrong. Mm-hmm. It's not complicated. I noticed the other day there was a, a horse called Reckless Eric <laughs> running at Newbury. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'd check uh, out all the other current rock and roll racehorses. And there are certain songs or band names that have that ring about them, don't they? Mm-hmm. And uh, here are six nags currently pounding the turf. One of them made up by me. Spot the ringer. Okay, uh-huh. which of these isn't real? Pajama Rama. Mm. Whatever she brings, we sing. Mm. Cigarettes and alcohol. Crazy Diamond. King Crimson. And Wonder Wall. Wow. Five of those are actual resources currently <clears throat> out there. Now, you know my normal way of backing horses when I go to the, the races very occasionally. Yeah, you just put money on anything race. that's got a rock and roll connection. Absolutely. And I go with a couple of blokes who have all the film books and everything, and I just pick something that reminds me of the Allman Brothers, and I'm very often right. Um, but in that that little um, list, I'm just going to take a wild stab because I haven't a clue. Cigarettes and alcohol. Cigarettes and alcohol ran at Utoxeter. Wow. Uh, at 28 to 1, very recently. Right, I'm going to have a second guess. I'm going to have a second guess. Pajama Rama. Pajama Rama came second at Newbury uh, not very long ago. <laughs> um, I'm going to have a third guess. King Crimson. King Crimson raced Catterick in 2022. <laughs> I can't remember the other ones. <laughs> Crazy Diamond won at Kelso not long ago. Uh, Wonderwall was at Kempton Park on January the 24th this year. No, the, the ringer is whatever she brings we sing. <laughs> did because it's just her. too long to say, isn't it? it and is. coming up on the stand sign, whatever she brings we sing. Yes, you wouldn't get it out. You, you wouldn't get yeah. it. And she yeah. reminded me of the old... And do you remember Alan Partridge on um, on the day-to-day does that wonderful thing where he commentates on the horses? One of his horses is Sinead O'Connor, which just seems a terribly funny name. Sinead O'Connor. And then it's, 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 being, it's being challenged by Novelty Bubble, Immaculate Pasta, Christ's Chin, and I think the winner was Alf Ramsey's Porn Dungeon. So there it is. <laughs> I know. Good work. work. There's there's a horse called Jethro Tull out there, a gentle giant, a midnight rambler. Very good. But there are certain things that were. I think there should be one called Lovely Rita. That's a good name for a horse. Surely there has been. There must be. And Dr. Feelgood also. Just great names. So if anybody's a student of the turf who's listening to this, let us know whether Lovely Rita is already out there uh, or has been put out to stud many years ago. (laughs) We'd be interested. So here we are. Danny Baker sold his records finally after years of talking about it. He's actually sold his records. Eight thousand albums, isn't it? 
and he's been kind of teasing this auction <laughs> by by posting pictures of really fabulous things, old acetates still with the original press release and, you know, records that are individually worth hundreds of pounds. So I, I'd love to know what he got for his 8,000 albums, wouldn't you? Uh, you We're going to have to ask yes. him. We won't be able to reveal. No. <laughs> Yeah, it's between him and the tax man, I would imagine. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I don't know whether to feel envious or not, really. I, I can, mine, if I sold mine, I'm sure they wouldn't make as much, well, it certainly wouldn't make as much as Danny's. It's Danny's a very specialised collection because it's it's pretty pretty much 70s albums, really. It is, and uh, very like quite rarefied stuff. But also a lot of it's signed, isn't it? So... Uh... Yeah, but then again, yeah. signed to Danny, which is yeah. is whether or not that I, does that take something off the value of the signature if it's signed to somebody else and you own it? I don't know. I've no idea, no idea at all. But I've now got to the point where I can no longer get rid of mine. Really, they've uh, you know over the last it's kind of post lockdown. Really, they've sort of become a part of me. I meet people on the street who are so used to seeing me and in, in kind of video casts that we do and so forth with a whole load of records behind me. So they kind of expect me to go around carrying those yeah. on my shoulders, you know. Or, or, or have a huge kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, a cardboard cutout behind you, yeah. a permanent backdrop. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I would, um, I, I'd, I'd feel, I'd feel lost without them, really, genuinely. You know what I mean? It's not that I go and play them every day or anything. I just think, oh, my God, if you got There's something very grounding about it, isn't it? It's there up up in the attic. Well, they've always there. been there. They were they were my they were the first, you know, regardless of whether their music of their musical association, they were the first possession I was ever bothered about. And actually, they've been the only possession I'm really bothered about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Apart from not know, the books. No, they're not no, not at all. With books, I mean, if they disappear, I can, I can replace them or whatever. Go and get yeah, another true. one if I want them. You know, having you know, having all the Beatles records there, just an example, or the Little Feet records, or Joni Mitchell records, or whatever, is very different from having all the uh, I don't know Charles Dickens books or Jane Austen or P.G. Woodhouse or whatever. They, they, they don't. That doesn't say anything about you. <laughs> no, it doesn't. You, you tended to. And, and also, records have that, that very different kind of, um, they're related to a chronology, aren't they? You can remember, generally speaking, you can remember buying them. You know, you can remember acquiring them. You can remember the age you were when you acquired them. So they're kind of a bit of a diary of your life, uh, as well as everything else. And so I've never been bothered about anything else, you know, material, um, other than records, not at all, not for a second. You know. I was looking through mine yesterday and thinking that the ones I really cared about were the, the ones I owned actually when I was pretty much when I was a teenager. Because those are the ones where you sit there. I was particularly dug out uh, John Barleycorn by Traffic, which yeah. came out when I was whatever I was, 16, I think, 15 or 16. And I can just remember sitting, it's the records that you sat in rooms with your pals. And you poured over the sleeve, and you probably smoked a number six, and you 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 listened intently in rapt silence often to every single note of those records, and 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 that that memory is kind of forged into it's just welded into into even just the tactile sensation of of the sleeve really, and those are the records that I, I don't I don't know I could probably part with quite a lot of others because it's just the it's just the sleeve you're getting rid of you can always listen to the music. But those early well, Beatles EPs, the early Beatles albums, Dylan, my copy of Nice Enough to Eat, which came out when I was 15, was absolute life-changer. And again, it's to do with just remembering getting, being teleported back to a room surrounded by some pals and listening to that and talking about all, all the tracks. And the odd thing, though, is that now, now that it's, you know, 50 years later or whatever it is, um, these things... You know, regardless of the, you know, people argue about, oh, you can get hundreds of pounds for that. Well, so what, you know? Um, but <clears throat> it's the kind of uh, the resonance, <clears throat> excuse me, that these things have now 
is greater than they ever had in the past. You know, people used to envy people's album collections back in the day, but they didn't sit around thinking about them in the way that they do nowadays. You know, you look at how people post, you know, post pictures of, of album covers on Record social media. Record yeah. All, all that stuff, you know, that's a whole kind of... The message there is often, I've got this and you haven't. (laughs) Well, I suppose so, yeah. There's a certain amount of of that to it. And it's just, I suppose it's just so much of of our lives nowadays is is on screens. Here's a classic example of what we're doing now. Whereas anything that's in the real world has immense kind of, Paul to you nowadays. And actually, we were just talking about, we ought to talk about it now, actually, that wonderful thing that Robert Plant last night oh, it's posted on Twitter. Oh. And old, because he's got some shows coming up. He says, new shows. Shall I read up? He says, I found my first self-made poster from 60 years ago. And he's got a wonderful... He's obviously done it in his bedroom with, you know, whatever um, drawing materials he had to hand to advertise his his upcoming gig with a group. It looks group. as though it's a piece of paper. It looks like it's been stained with tea to make it look old, <laughs> like, a, like an old pirate treasure map. But it's written on it. It's handwritten. It says, you like Muddy Waters, Sonny Boy Williamson, Howlin' Wolf, Jimmy Reed? If so, you want R&B. The Black Snake Moan, which is the name of the band. The, the weirdest, spelt wrong, wildest sound in R&B. You want proof? That's good. You want yeah. proof? Yeah. See them soon. It's Phone HAL 2516. This is in Starbridge, isn't Starbridge. it? Inquiries. Inquiries. Phone Starbridge 1932. It's fantastic. It's so sweet. Isn't it? he it's, it's, been... a, it's brilliant that he's kept that. And it's brilliant that he shared it with people as well. <clears throat> he would have been about 14 or 15. 14, 15. 64, yeah. And, and, and it's, a, it's a reminder that, you know, all, all kind of, all, all these superstars, they all started off when they were 14, 15, didn't they? Yeah. And they all started off doing things like that, drawing things on the back of school exercise books, you know, no, no access to special materials or anything of that kind of. It's just the, the beautiful naivety of it is really, really affecting. It's it is. fantastic to see it. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll try and post a link to it. Also, the idea of a 14-year-old boy is some kind of evangelist for, the, for R&B and blues. Well, which they you kind of... Convert, but which they kind of were. Well, they kind Absolutely. of were. You see, I was that generation, you know, not far off the same age. And, um, and that was the thing, you know, apart from the Beatles, you then had to decide, what were you into? Oh, you were into R&B. And if people wanted to know what R&B was, this is quite interesting because R&B is a term that's changed its meaning regularly over the last 40, 50 years and will no doubt continue changing its meaning. But at the time, what it meant was, as he says here at the top, Muddy Waters, Sonny Boy Williamson, Howling Wolf and and Jimmy Reed, it meant things on the chest label. You know, it it meant electrified country blues is what it meant. It meant the kind of things that were covered on the first Rolling Stones album. And that was the sort of stuff that you were into, and there were loads of groups who, who played that kind of stuff. I tell you another thing: while we're while we're talking about this, um, you know, this kind of early lives of uh, of rock superstars, we should note the passing at the age of I think ninety eight of Adele Springsteen, Bruce yes. Springsteen's mother. Uh, he'd he'd been obviously a huge figure in his. In his obviously in his life, and but in his career, but particularly his because he didn't have a lot of tension with his dad. Well, this, <clears throat> this is the the really interesting thing, then really becomes clear if you read his autobiography, which is very good. It's really good. Um, that that clearly there were two personalities clearly in his home when he was growing up. His mother was the Italian, gregarious, outgoing, sociable. Loved to go to work and so forth, and and his father, who was Dutch Irish, I think, and you know morose, didn't like work. He didn't get on with people. You know what I mean? A loner, probably drank too much and was given to depression. And um, 
it's really interesting. <laughs> and he has elements of both. He, he had elements of both. Yeah. And I think the more aware he got of it as he got older, the more he must have thought, I am these two people. You know, yeah. there is, and that you you can detect that kind of duality in his music. That there is, you know, this fantastically outgoing you know, party party side of him, and then there's this utterly morose sitting in the sitting in the kitchen in the dark in the middle of the night side of Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, you know, which is and there's nothing in between. <laughs> Very few things. Yeah, and yeah, he, he must, and he must have thought, I could I could go that way. You know what I mean? It was yeah. all, that's in me, you know. Whereas she was, uh, she was a very different person. She'd been uh, suffering with Alzheimer's for the last ten years, so she hadn't been as much in evidence as she, as she previously had been. She used to uh, regular feature popping up to dance with them on, the, you know, dancing in the dark or whatever in front of a large crowd. She kind of liked the attention, and nothing wrong with that at Absolutely. all. Absolutely, well, she was nothing. just really proud. She loved being identified as his mum. Absolutely, talking to fans. You know why not? Absolutely, no reason why not. I think one of the loveliest things about you know, you know being a successful musician, having a, a parent live that long, is they've got to see you succeed. Because, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the whole tension of that is, for, for a lot of them, is there's the parent's constant worry that you're not going to make it or their vigorous uh, resistance to the idea of you doing it in the first place. In fact, a lot of people are very driven by the fact that they wanted to prove their parents wrong and they wanted to succeed, you know, gave them some kind of momentum. But it's a lovely thing to think you, you, you would you would be there to see the fruits of that success and possibly be bought the kind of um, the seaside bungalow. You know, it was always buy an old place for the parents, wasn't it? You know, like like Lennon with uh, with with Aunt Mimi. He wrote a wonderful song uh, about her called The Wish, which is, I think is on tracks or something. Oh, I know, right? yeah, yeah. Which is just a wonderful sentimental song about his mother. And about how she'd bought him his first guitar, and then I think the last the last verses last night we sat around laughing about all the things that guitar bought us, <laughs> which is a, a, a wonderful well, a idea. Line. It says, "Well, it was me in my beetle boots and you in pink curlers and matador pants." Pulling me off the couch, up off the couch to do the twist for my uncles and aunts. And listen, to, to really and I can that. remember doing that, you know, yeah, what I mean? yeah. and my mother never had Tori O'Dell pants or whatever. Yeah. But when the twist was happening, whatever, 1961, 62, um, you'd get family would come round and they'd, you know, they'd have a couple of drinks. And then you would be called out your bedroom to demonstrate the twist. We were too. Your Uncle Tom. Me and my three sisters, yeah. And the whole idea of the twist was you were stubbing out a cigarette, yeah, cigarette. with your right toe while drying your back with a towel. With a towel, absolutely. <laughs> and if you did it like that, you could. You were doing the twist. It was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. The dance anyone could do. Yeah. Now, there's something very effective about rock stars and, and parents. Do you remember that series that John Olson, of John Olson's pictures in Life magazine in 1970? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's wonderful of Elton John with his uh, parents and... Uh, but no, his mother. Zappa. His mother and his, step, his stepfather, isn't it? Mum and stepdad, that's right. Yeah. Crosby, Zappa, Grace Slick, Eric Clapton with his grandma. It's very, very, it's very G effective. Ginger actually. Baker with his mother. Yes, Ginger Baker missing right. a tooth. It's fantastic. Because... <laughs> And other interesting reflections on, on rock stars and mothers is both McCartney and Lennon lost theirs, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. Around about the same age, didn't they? Uh, yes, they were. McCartney was 14, I think, and I think Lennon was just 17. That was one of the bonding things that it they must had between be. them, wasn't and, it? Uh, you see, we, we, we've had this conversation in the past that, that rock stars, you know, underneath it all, who do they do it for? They do it for their mothers, don't they? It's a kind of it's a huge driving force, isn't it? Yeah. Because you, you can't you want your mother to think you've done well, but you can't impress your mother because she's your mother. For goodness sake, you know. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's dealt with you when you had nothing to impress anybody with, apart from the fact you were their child, you know what I mean? And um and I noticed that when Bob Dylan got the uh, the Kennedy Center Honors, which is the kind of MBE equivalent, isn't it? That the, yeah. That the American artists, not just American artists, actually, I think, I think Led Zeppelin got it and so forth. Uh, yeah, there's a very grand ceremony at the, uh, is it in Washington. I don't know. 
and, uh, and very often the president is there, on the, uh, the great and the good. And there's Bob Dylan. And they put them in a, in a kind of box where they, they sit there in the audience and watch people paying tribute to them doing their songs and so forth. So there's Bob Dylan with his kind of bow tie and his metal around him and so forth. Who's the person he's got sitting next to him? His mother. Fantastic. His mother, mother B.T. Zimmerman, who was, I think, 83 at the That's time. That's right. Or something like that. And that is a classic case of, you know, I'm going to bring my mother along to, to, to see what I'm, to prove what I made of myself. You know what I mean? And, um, and he must have done that. It really that. is. It is a deliberate thing, isn't it? it? Because that's the kind of proof, you know, that you can say all you like, but the, the idea that the, you're being recognised by the establishment, yeah, you know, is the is the is the language that parents can understand. I told you before about my dad. My dad never kind of understood what it was I was doing in in, uh, in, in kind of music journalism and magazines because he, he didn't read them. He didn't really understand them, you know. And he kept saying, when are you going to you know, do something? When are you going to get a proper job? And then I was interviewed in The Times around the time of the launch of Q. And that was the changing point. Because I was in The Times, yeah. The Times was saying, this is a really good magazine. It's really interesting. We're talking to the editor. He recognised the fact that I must be doing something significant. <laughs> I was really touched by that. Yeah. There's a very good clip, which you can probably find on YouTube, uh, Springsteen uh, must have been ten years ago. They um, Ellis Island, which is the you know the island in you know, New York, where a lot of immigrants were in the turn of the century, turn of the last century, were were processed and so forth. They uh, they have some kind of awards that they give to notable immigrants or whatever, or children of immigrants. And there is a ceremony where Bruce Springsteen is talking about his mother, and his mother's there, and her two sisters, who you know, and so the, the three Italian sisters, and they're all now in their seventies or eighties or whatever all the time doing it, and just talking about them in front of a crowd, and to be able to—that's one of the benefits of your enormous success—is you can treat your mother and your two aunts to the full glare of publicity for a day. That's a wonderful gift to give people, isn't it? You know, It is. Um, it's there. I'm sure it's there if you, if you look at it. I always thought with the Beatles that actually not having mothers was, in some respects, liberating. Yeah. I don't think John Lennon would have done some of the things he did if he'd had a mother a close, <laughs> who had a close relationship with, who, who's, who's, whose opinion he respected. Would he have gone on television in a bag? Would he have planted acorns for peace? Would he have done and said, would he have had bed-ins? And, you know, I think his mother would have just tapped on the shoulder and said, you look ridiculous, don't do that. You know? but it was funny when I interviewed uh, Neil and Chris, Pet Shop Boys, a few months ago for Radio Times, and we were talking about they did the London Palladium show. It was revived at some point by ITV, I think, you know. And they were on that show, and it was supposed to finish with a carousel with them all going round, you know, as, as the Sunday night at London Palladium show had traditionally done, you know, that everybody went round yeah. waving, waving at the crowd. And uh, Pet Shop Boys decided they weren't going to do this because, you know, as, as they said, we don't do waving, you know. Yeah. Of, course, of course, who was there on the night? And who really took umbrage? Mrs. Tennant and Mrs. Lowe. <laughs> they were both there. How can you not them down round about? Come on, I'll clip you around the ear. You know, Absolutely. they were too late. You know. Go and tidy your room. <laughs> Go with no supper. Yeah, yeah. I remember Neil saying, he, uh, telling, telling me once he'd gone on, I think Petrol Boys were playing Wembley Arena. They had a very, um, they had a very elaborate dance routine. Suggestive with uh, with 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 dancers suggesting uh, you know adventurous uh, sexual uh, uh, acts, and, and he said he was incredibly embarrassed to think that his mother was in the audience, and uh, you know you would be, wouldn't you? You yeah, just of course think, you would. Be. Be, it really it really cramp your style. I think you know you'd just be so self conscious because they because uh, because if you go in you know if you go in a venue there's ten thousand people in there and those and two of those ten thousand people are the performer and the performer's mother, nobody else in that place matters at all because that's the intense relationship going on. It is. On. 
It is. Because <laughs> they're the two people who are thinking most deeply about what's happening. You know what I mean? Everybody yeah. else is just a spectator. <laughs> so there you go. Adele Springsteen, 98. Good evening. You're listening to The Word Podcast, where the time is whenever you want it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. To be. The Taylor Swift phenomenon, I, I, I can't remember the last time anyone was this, this big, if you like. Here's a few things, right? Her and Travis Kelsey, who uh, David Letterman amusingly in a little clip the other day, and she was saying, saying I was amazed that she was going out with Kelsey Grammer. And people were saying, <laughs> no, it's Travis Kelsey, the, uh, the, the Kansas City Chiefs American football star. But anyway, her and Travis Kelsey caught up, aren't they, in this extraordinary kind of, uh, you know, headlines like far-right influencers claim the singer is a Pentagon asset conspiring to manipulate voters after a rigged Super Bowl favours the Kansas City Chiefs. The, the, the scale of this... You know, the idea that she is somehow involved in the rigging of a Super Bowl game and also the a pawn, a crucial pawn, that could swing an election. And there's been a threat from Donald Trump's election team to wage a holy war against her if she publicly backs Biden. She's leading all the Grammy nominations. She has is still in the middle of the most profitable tour of all time, which is, you know, affecting local economies. Her music film has broken all box office records. She's re-recorded her catalogue. There's a whole AI deep fake, the horrible story. She is the obvious target because she's so kind of ubiquitous. She has 279 million Instagram followers. She's had the most weeks at number one. And now there's that big row, isn't there? You know, she's so huge that uh, uh, United Music Group have taken her off, uh, off, off TikTok. And caught well, up I don't, I don't think amazing. that's just—I don't think that's just her. No, it's not just her. Universal, just... Universal are involved in a face-off with TikTok. Yeah, they've withdrawn all their music until they get the, the yeah they think they should get. But anyway, carry on. And there's just one more thing, which is—I'm it was, it was, it was, sure you know about this. There's a book called Argyle being published at the moment by Bantam. And it's, it's a film. Uh, it's a, a film. It's a film. It's a film. It's a film. It's a spy movie. It's been made based on the book. And the book is by somebody called Ellie Conway. Now, Ellie Conway just simply doesn't appear to exist. Ellie Conway is, is actually well, actually, was the name of a of a character from Neighbours back in the day. There is a character in the film called Ellie Conway who is played by somebody who looks extraordinarily like Taylor Swift, but no one knows who the the the, the author is. Which is a brilliant piece of marketing by Bantam, but of course, you know the 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 current consensus is that this 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 person must be Taylor Swift. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous, but it just, it made me think that she is so utterly universal. I mean, there are, there are times when there are people, I mean, there was a time when Boy George was the most famous pop star on the planet. Not a very long period of time, but he was the most famous, but he wasn't the biggest. You know, she is not only the most famous, but clearly by some margin, the biggest. Can you think of the last time there was a, was a, was anybody like that? I mean, you were the, Madonna was huge, but there was also Michael Jackson at the time, you know. 
Yeah, I don't know really. I mean, the the weird, it's very difficult to say because the nature of fame has changed so much. Yeah, you know, in the twenty first century, really, in in the time of Taylor Swift, that it's very difficult to measure those kind of things. The thing I find extraordinary about Taylor Swift is she is everything you say in terms of popularity and ubiquitousness and power and so forth. If you played me a record right now, I wouldn't recognise it. Now that that just that that obviously partly indicates I'm old and out of touch, but it also indicates the fact that you know media works in a totally different way nowadays. And so when Madonna was huge, whether you liked Madonna or not, you heard Madonna. Yeah, you did. You knew what Madonna was. Uh, the same thing doesn't apply nowadays. Well, you know, then people, again, you were, people you were follow their own you were listening channels. to pop radio and so you wouldn't be able no, to escape. No, but my her. mother would probably have. You know, oh, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know, you know. Uh, <clears throat> you know, because everybody watched certain television programs. Well, there's you know, 20 million people watched all the pops, and so they weren't all watching it because they liked it. They were watching it because they wanted to know what was happening. Yeah. Whereas there is nothing like that nowadays. You know, if you, if you, if you like Taylor Swift... You can live in a Taylor Swift world 24-7, no difficulty at all. If you if you don't if you're not particularly bothered, you need never encounter her yeah. at all. And that's utterly changed in nature, it seems to me. Um in in the way these things work. And I think a lot of this um a lot of a lot of this business, you know, I don't know, the Republican Party and so forth, and newspapers running outlandish headlines about Taylor Swift, is there a desperate attempt to, to try and ride the coattails of this, of, of the fame that she, they know she has? Oh, yeah. It's like, like business page, pages in newspapers, the number of times they will put a picture of Taylor Swift in to link it tenuously to some business story. Well, they, it's they, a way of getting people's attention, and it's just a, it's, it's an arresting image. Yeah, well, well it's, also, it's all, always been the case on business pages. Talk to anybody who works on the business pages, they always say, you know, EMI or any public company in the music space that published its results gave them an opportunity to run a picture of a glamorous pop star rather than a bloke in a, you know, in a suit and tie. Absolutely. Which is what, on a fire escape, which is what they're doing most of the time. Um, but I don't know, you know, it's like you know, Madonna is the obvious is the obvious uh, forerunner. But, you know, something like, you know, when Beyonce has got a record out, Beyonce is absolutely ubiquitous and, and clear. Yeah, Beyonce. She's ubiquitous, but I don't imagine she's got that kind of reach. I mean, okay, but Madonna, just... let's just get this right. Didn't Beyonce play how many? Tottenham Hotspur stadiums before, you know, late summer? Five or six? Yes, it was some. It's just absolutely incredible, you know. Because here's the thing, Mark. Back in the day, nobody used to be that big. Nobody. You know, if you go back and you look at the times when you think, I don't know, the Rolling Stones or David Bowie or whoever, no, they were, you, they were they, in, in, a, in a contained world. Weren't they? they were a the world, world bordered world. by the, the music press and occasionally breaking out into the news headlines or whatever. But, but they wouldn't. But no, world. nobody played five stadiums back in those days, did no. they? No, no they just didn't do, didn't do it at all. And and that was when those prices were relatively cheap. Yeah. Now it's hundred and fifty quid or and more. And there are um, people in the remotest parts of the world thinking about Taylor Swift because they can be in touch with her Instagram. It's, uh, or it's social media, isn't it? You it know, is completely. It, it's you know, it's you know, George Best was an enormously popular footballer, but go and look at Ronaldo's Instagram followers, and it's on a totally different scale, yeah, it isn't is. it? You yeah. Know? Yeah. So whoever comes along next will be bigger than Taylor Swift. Because it'll be kind of, they'll have to be. You know, there's a kind of inflationary it's effect. Expanded structure. It though, sort of it? has to be. Yeah, you know what it I mean? does. Yeah. Um, because also, the thing about social media with music is, I think it encourages people to advertise their loyalties, and they can they can have advertise loyalties. They're very often not very strong. You know, you put your hand up, say, "Yeah, I like." I like that person or that group or that singer or whatever. And so the next one, 
That's my prediction. The next Taylor Swift will be bigger, be bigger than Taylor Swift. Than Taylor Swift. The Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. I had a wonderful example of how music finds me nowadays. There's been a lot of complaints over the last few weeks, you know, about the kind of death of rock criticism and all that, all that kind of thing, and uh, how there ought to be some kind of system <laughs> for for yeah, agreeing about music. I don't, I don't know how much I believe in that, but anyway. Last uh, last Friday night, Friday night, I think it was. After we'd finished doing the uh, the traditional Friday evening quiz with our Patreon supporters, uh, and if you haven't joined us for that, why don't you make a point to do that in the near future? Anyway, I was just Friday down, night six o'clock. Friday night six o'clock. Everybody welcome. Hurry, hurry! And um, I was I was just checking Twitter, and Ben Watt posted something about about a record by two artists I've never heard of uh, and just said, this is absolutely brilliant, this record. You should listen to it. And it's called The Room by Fabiano Di Nascimento and Sam, I think I'm pronouncing this right, Gendel. Gendel. Um, and so because we're in the year 2024 and because there's a thing called Spotify, I was able to do that. I didn't have to write a note to myself thinking next time you're in a record shop that's big enough to stop millions of things, go and see if you can find that, you know, because even if you went to Rough Trade East or whatever, somewhere really big, Mark, where would you go and look for Fabiano de Nascimento and Sam oh, God, no, so you'd have to look in a, in a section, wouldn't you? You probably and would. And you'd have to find someone behind a counter who knew what you were talking about. Uh, which, uh, which, is, which is, absolutely, which is a tall order, uh, even with the best will in the world. Uh, whereas that's the old world where we would have, to have had to do it that way. In the new world, I just, my phone, I just go, the room, and, and I was listening to it playing through a speaker downstairs. It's fantastic. It's really good. What's it sound uh, like? It's, it's, um, Fabiano. I'm you on the spot now as a rock critic. You've got to describe Fabiano. the music. Yeah, well, it's not rock for a start. No, no. Uh, it's Fabiano de Nascimento is a, is a Brazilian guitarist, acoustic guitarist. And Sam Gendel is, I think, an American Californian uh, saxophonist. And, uh, they're improvising around some, I think, Brazilian folk tunes, old tunes. But it's, it's a lovely, lovely record. And it's the kind of record, I just wanted to mention it, because it's the kind of record I find myself listening to an increasing amount of and thinking to myself, there must be more of a market for this stuff than there ever was in the past, thanks to streaming and thanks to Spotify and Apple Music and Amazon Music and all the other ways of, uh, of finding music. Because it, it tends to be instrumental. And it tends to be the kind of stuff you can just put on any time of the day. But isn't that the big, big evolving market, isn't it? Because, you know, it's for people wanting stuff to work to that isn't distracting. It's just a, a background, so it's background music, basically. Well, it's, I mean, it's better than that because, yeah. <clears throat> you know, you, but you could use it as background music, no doubt about it at all. But I think there's a lot of that kind of ethereal kind of, I think I think music that if it, if it was ever marketed in a traditional uh, way, they would describe it as being kind of healing in its in its properties. Yes, you know, yeah, it, yes. it, it, it soothes you know, you know the, the 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 raveled sleeve of care. You know, all, all yeah. that kind of thing. I do find myself listening to it, but I just thought people moan about. The streaming services. No, what a shame we haven't got the traditional, you know, the old solid album. You knew where you were, all that kind of stuff. But just, you know, in the words of Joni Mitchell, something's lost, but something's gained in living every day. You know what I mean? Yes. And, and the and the simple accessibility of this stuff is is a fantastic gift. You know what I mean? The fact that you can find this stuff, you never used to be able to find the stuff at all. You might enjoy the hunt, you know, but you, the, very often the hunt wasn't didn't have a satisfactory conclusion. But I think we take that completely for granted, you know, because the idea now that you look for that 
track, The Room, and couldn't find it. If you couldn't find it, you'd be absolutely furious and mortified. You'd think there must be some kind of mistake. You just assume that everything is there, which it mostly is. It is. We are incredibly lucky. We are. And I'm just referring here to some a piece of correspondence that came out a couple of weeks ago from uh, here. I think you're going to have to forgive me if I don't pronounce this correctly, but I think it's Andy Shea. Uh, and... Um, it was drawing our attention to the Beach Boys are touting a Beach Boys focus playlist. He says they're jumping on the, I think it's he, forgive me if I'm wrong. They're jumping on the streaming work from home, work with headphones, ambient trend. And, uh, and he says, as the literal commodification of music keeps happening, I wonder if more of this is coming. Um, and it's quite interesting if you go and if you go and look at this uh, this this Beach Boys thing, you know, because it's all lots of it's kind of offcuts and outtakes from I don't know, the, you know, Friends or late sixties Beach yeah. Boys albums put together in a way that you can you can put these things together on Spotify, you know. So it's there's bits of backing vocal, there's there's bits of bits of you know rhythm track or whatever and you put it together in a, in a way that it just sounds very seductive you know and very very kind of warm and healing mm. again it's that, it's that same thing and uh, i was reading the um the um you know the 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 what do they they say on the on the kind of the press release for it how lucky for us now that so much astounding fascinating and breathtaking sound has been relinquished over the past dozen years the sounds unearthed showcase both backing and vocal tracks that, when presented apart from the rest of the master, create separate, timeless, special art. Vo <laughs> vocal lines that were buried, a rhythm, a beat, a guitar harmony line pulled away from itself only shows how much music was actually in all this music. Every passage is a gift. <laughs> So, so basically, it's meant, meant to set you speeding to listen to it. Yeah. Well, you know, but I did. I did listen to it. And yeah. I've listened to it a couple of times, and it's it, it's very good. You know, it's fine. Um, but I, I just thought it's really interesting that that, that well, of course, they they just put out this band on the run, haven't they? Fiftieth anniversary um, with the demixed version. Have you heard any of this? No, no. I I, and I, I was listening, listening to the demixed jet last <laughs> night. Which is just a kind of raw version of Jet, really. And uh, I'm kind of surprised. So, how would that mean, demixed? I don't exactly know, Mark. I don't yeah. know. I just happened to listen to it. And it sounds sound like a rough mix, basically, to me. Uh, you know, it hasn't got all the, all the kind of sugar coating on it. And, you know, and his vocals are a little bit over, all over the place. You know, which I give him points for for putting this out. You know, he's not hiding anything at all. Um, and I did quite enjoy it. I wouldn't necessarily want to listen to it 20 times, you know. I'll go back and listen to the original. Does it sound radically different from the original? Well, go on. Mark, why are you yeah. asking me? Are you asking me because I'm a rock critic? <laughs> even, though, even though, as I often point out to people when they ring me up and say, we thought you'd ask you because you're a rock critic. I said, I haven't criticised any rock in years. Why are you asking me It's a all? terrible expression, rock It's a ridiculous... It's a music rock. writer. Yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, but the point is, it's there. Go and listen to it. It's you know, inescapable. Just go, you know, whatever it was, Paul McCartney, Jet, D-Mix. You'll find it, you know. Yeah. Turn up on YouTube or whatever. So this is the this is the next thing, you know. After having years, uh, spending decades when they, they tried to perfect records, they're now trying to unperfect them, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. Kind of go back, you know, go back to a raw version. Go go back to a less polished version, you know, and then they'll polish it all up again. Or they'll find something to do with it. You can play with this stuff forever. The Word Podcast. Fix yourself a drink and it's like being in the pub. Well, we're joined by birthday guest Kevin Rose. Kevin, very nice to see you. Thank You've you. had the birthday. It was last week, I think, and it was low-key, you were saying. Yes, yeah, although, yeah, not, saw, some, saw some nice friends. But, uh, yes, a January birthday in my, in my, in my 1950s, in my 50s it is bound to be low-key. Well, we can we we do low key. You're among friends. So, what's your uh, what's your query that you wanted to? to, to well, chuck I into recently the fray? watched uh, 
after the behest of my 15 year old daughter, uh, Love and Mercy finally got around to watching that. Uh, the Brian Wilson biopic of sorts. And actually made me think, this is actually really good. Um, most biopics that I've seen are terrible and I actually generally avoid them. Um, and I wondered actually if you, there are any that you thought were any good. I haven't seen Love and Mercy. No, no. So who plays, oh. who plays Brian Wilson? Well, there's two Brians. <laughs> it's, it's what well, I think maybe one of the reasons why it's good. Well, there's various reasons why it's good. And I think one is, um, it's about two specific periods of his life. Right. One is sort of pet sound slash smile. And he's played by Paul Dano. Mm-hmm. And then there is a period where he meets his now wife and she tries to extricate him from the clutches of the doctor. Eugene Landy. Eugene yeah, played, Landy. By, he's played by Paul Giametti. Oh, oh God. Oh, oh yes, I've heard of this. I yes. like Paul Giametti. The wife so do is I, Elis- very much. Wife of Liz- Elizabeth Banks. So, and he's played by, um, oh, gosh, I've got his name now, John Cusack. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. I think, or maybe, does that work? But it's. I think the reason why the film works so much is that the attention to detail. So I think if you're, if it's one of those things that because I play the guitar, whenever I see somebody playing the guitar, if it doesn't look authentic or it's really, they, you just think they haven't bothered at all, no. uh, then it, it ruins it in a way. Whereas this, the, all the musicians, the wrecking crew and everything like that, they studied the, the, the tapes of the, like recording the pet sounds. So all the dialogue feels authentic, even though it's ad-libbed. All the musicians are musicians. They filmed it in the same studio that they filmed it in. Uh, so it just feels really authentic. And they switch between sort of like some Super 8 type stuff for certain bits. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, it's really... Well, I shall have to watch it. I'd love to I, see. That sounds did, really, really good. Did, did you notice, actually, you mentioned his second wife. She died this week, didn't she? Oh, I didn't see that. Yes, yeah, she did. She died this week. Um, yeah, because he must be quite fragile. I was, I worked out that we saw him telling my daughter that my wife and I saw him, you know, when he came and did Smile. And mm-hmm. that, was 20, that was 2002, I think, wasn't it? Probably. Was that the South Bank? Yeah. I was there, yes. That was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It was amazing. Wonder Mints. But he, um, I've, I went with a friend who'd seen the Pet Sounds one. He said, well, the Pet Sounds one, he was, he could, you know, he was just standing up, really. But so he was a bit more with it, should we say, a bit more mobile um, at Smile. But I, but another friend who'd seen him like 10 years ago said, you know, it doesn't know why he's doing it, he should retire really because he seems very delicate. So going back to your point about rock biopics, I, th- I think the, they're all worth seeing once <laughs> because the the key bit of, of all rock biopics is, is is when the character walks on and you go, oh, look, there he is. <laughs> being played by so and so, and it either works or it doesn't. And it either works, or yeah, it doesn't. yeah, yeah. And even if it's kind of worked, you don't desperately want to go back. I remember, you know, Mark and I went to see the Elvis thing, you know, the Baz Luhrmann and Elvis mm. thing, which I think we really, really I really good. enjoyed it. Mm. I wouldn't desperately want to see it again because. At the time, you're sort of overwhelmed by the experience. Oh, yes, he's really good, and and you know, and that person playing so and so, that's really good. But if you had time to think about it, mm. <laughs> you'd probably go, oh, not so sure, really. That's a good point. The second time around, it'd probably be less convincing because you yeah. just totally bought into it for that one moment. Yeah, the you second do. time, you won't be standing outside of it and saying, This is somebody pretending to be Elvis. Yeah, I think that I think Rocket Man's pretty good. I thought Backbeat. And Nowhere Boy, the Beatles ones are pretty good. There are various that are terrible, I think. Walk the Line. I mean, it's not terrible, but it's just ugly mm. and corny. Yeah. And I think... I mean, I'm, um, I'm wondering whether one... The Doors I one was shocking, I think. Which one, sorry? The Doors. I can't remember. Is it Oliver Stone? Oh, Oliver yes, Stone, Stone, yeah. Stone, yeah. The Doors, yeah. I remember. Val Kilmer. It embar- feels embarrassingly... <laughs> yeah, it just feels embarrassing, that one, I think. I think Whereas, yeah. If you Almost... know less about the subject, I think it may be... So, I mean, there's ones I haven't seen, but, I, you know, I'd be interested to see the Joe Meek story, is it called, stuff like that. I don't right, know, yeah, yeah. Things like, yes. well, I think, oh, actually, oh, that happened, did it? Well, that happened, you know. i tell you what is good is Anton's uh, Joy Division. Oh, film. Control, that's very good. It's a very good film. Really uh, good. And the band yeah. actually play the songs, and they look so like them. It's I funny and it's moving. It's a terrific film. Isn't it's there really a vogue good. towards that nowadays? Is that the sort of the, you know, in the same way that you don't have canned laughter in sitcoms, you don't, that ba- that people try to do the performance themselves. They do, I yeah. suppose so. Yeah, yeah well, Reese Witherspoon and Wacken Phoenix do in Walk the Line. They're very good, actually. It's just that the actual construction of the, of the story is a bit corny, I think. 
Well, well, I shall make a make a point of uh, watching Love and Mercy on don't, your. Don't uh, blame me. <laughs> no, I won't blame. You. I won't blame you. See, you're getting nervous now. now yeah, that well, blame, blame my daughter. I, we'll come looking for you if we don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> we know where you live. Yes. So so will so will everybody listening to this podcast all be off going to watch Love and Mercy mm. tonight and and then blaming moaning about it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but thanks Good very much for you. joining us on, on your birthday. And, uh, and uh, well, say goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> and that's goodbye from us as well. Thanks. See you next week. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all. Jewelry that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.